I mean, a, a social venture or even an NGO should have the, the goal of not existing anymore because it means the problem is solved. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to Social Compost. As you may have noticed, I am alone tonight. Well, not alone, but Jean-Luc is not here. So I'll be hosting today on my own, but we do have a guest. So we're going to keep the intro really short and we're going to go straight into it. Today on Social Compost, we have someone from our neighboring country down south, the country of Brazil. And I want to introduce you all to Vitor Ungari. Did I pronounce that correctly, Vitor? Yeah, you did, Diego. <laughs> awesome. I'm <the> Brazilian here. <laughs> yeah, Vitor, welcome to Social Convo. So it's a pleasure to have you here. And just a brief introduction on Vitor. I met, well, met is maybe not the correct word, but we encountered <laughs> each other during the Wildlife 2022 program last year in June, July, which I also took part in. And so we're both alumni, but I'm going to give it to Peter to, you know, briefly introduce yourself, kind of like, how did you get into Wiley? What's your background? You know, we're, we're going to talk a bit about social entrepreneurship and the stuff you've been doing there. And uh, I believe you are also, you are a soccer player and Brazil is very famous for soccer football. So I'm curious about that as well. But let's start off with, with you. Like, what's your background? How did you get into entrepreneurship? All right. Diego, one fun fact here is that for everybody who is listening, we, we had some workshop, on, online workshops before the, like, going actually to the U.S. for the experience. Yeah, yeah. And I do remember you because, like, the, the quality of your camera, well, it was outstanding comparing to an average webcam. And I was like, oh, oh my God, this is... A, this guy has an amazing camera for like more than a hundred fellows. They were participating, but I do remember because you asked some questions and then your video pop, pop it out. Just a fun fact to hear. But oh, that's awesome. I appreciate that. <laughs> talking about if, if I, if I had like to put a click, clickbait here for about my life, let's say there's an article about my life, I would say like a former soccer player who entered the university to be an engineering and then fell in love or found himself in social entrepreneurship. So this would be a big summary of my life. My bachelor, I have a bachelor in food engineering. I studied in University of Sao Paulo. And when I dropped soccer, like officially the high level of soccer I was practicing, I said, okay, I'm going to be an engineer. This was my kind of ambition back in the time. I said, Everybody needs to eat. There are a lot of challenges. And I'm going to work with that, like to be a food engineering. Is that, I don't know if it's a common background. A lot of people, they say, but what do you do? Do you cook? Do you, are you a yeah. nutrition, nutritionist? But it's more like, let's imagine a chemistry engineering focused on the food, food chain, food factories. So it's like a science based, like safety and basically safety and like, food processing and all those things. Exactly. Is, is you can, you can, well, I say that like after producing the food, we don't study that, but after producing, you can work in the logistic part. You can work in the production part. You can even develop the machine for the factories and you can work until the, the food gets to the mouth of the cost of the client or of the consumer, because after that, then, then is the, the nutritionist, but during the food chain, you can work and specialize in whatever area that you want. But even though I had that many options, I didn't want to be, I found out in the middle of my university life that I, I said, okay, food engineering is not for me. I want to have the bachelor of engineering because yeah. of like dealing with subjectivity, learning how to learn because there's some subject they were pretty hard, at, at least for me. And then because of that, I wanted to pursue the bachelor. But in the middle, I said, 
okay, am I going to be an engineer and that's it for my, for my life? So I, I had this kind of feeling that I could be part of the solution. And then I joined a group called Enactus. Enactus? Enactus. It's a, like an acronym for entrepreneurial action for the great of us. So it's an NGO based in the US and they operate in 37 countries. And I was just a volunteer. I was like, I don't even know if I want to, back in the time, I didn't even know if I want to be a food engineer. And yeah. I was like empirically learning about social entrepreneurship because I, imagine I was in the university. I was not the best student. I didn't see myself. I wasn't seeing myself as an engineer, but I was in the university. And then people were like, oh, this, there is this group. They work with social entrepreneurship. This was in 2013. The term social entrepreneurship, it wasn't very common in, in Brazil back in the time. Even today, in some places, people never heard it. Like sometimes the, when I say about it, talk about it, it's the first time that people heard, heard, hear about social entrepreneurship. And for me, it was a big shock because like, how are you mixing social so, impact with business? Like for the people who don't know, because you yourself encounter like, you know, people don't, you know, fully understand what, it mean, what social entrepreneurship means. If you had to simplify the explanation to, you know, someone, what, what's the the main difference between just entrepreneurship, like the commercial entrepreneurship running a business versus the social entrepreneurship. Okay. I, I like to, if the person knows about entrepreneurship, then I have one approach. If the person doesn't even know about entrepreneurship, then it's different. But taking the, this, this premise that the person already knows about entrepreneurship, think that the, the business model of the company so whatever you sell, like your service, your product, it has to answer one of these three, three questions. Like for who are you serving? Like, so you can have a social impact through your product. I, I can give some examples in a bit. So if the, the who or the market you are addressing, you are like causing this social, this positive social impact, through your product is one. The other is like how, because for example, there is in the US, there is a brownie factory. It's just a brownie factory as any, like not a huge innovation in the, in the process itself, but they only accept people that somehow they were in a vulnerable situation. So it doesn't have a selection process. There are a lot of refugees, people who were on the streets, people who were in jail. So this is called in the model is causing an impact for who? So we, we already answered like the, the products itself, how, like who and how, and also you can answer the question, what, like, what do you do? Because some companies, they say, okay, I sell glasses, but every Every glass that I sell, I donate another one for a person who is not able to buy. So you input this cost in the business model, and then you are offering social impact. And one of the premises of this social entrepreneurship, if you have a social business, is that while you scale, you impact more. So if you're, if you're selling 10, you, you're going to scale and sell a thousand. And then your impact is going to be great as your business grows. And this impact isn't quantified in, in profit per se, right? So it, it's more like the, the impact you have on human lives, on the, the social aspect. Because someone in, in the comments is asking, because they're, they're still a bit confused about it. And he's asking, is it still focused very much on profit or like how would you distinguish the profit side on, so, on social entrepreneurship versus the social part? Okay, like, finally, th thanks for the question though, because it's, it's actually a, a big discussion on the field. So let's say there is the defensors from side A and side B. The main concept of social business, there's like business for profit, business 
on pur purpose and business. There are social impact ventures. I'm going to try to divide in two fields just to make it easier. One is social business. In the concept of social business, you get like you need profits because as you profit, you invest in your business and you grow. This is the logic of social business, but you don't divide this profit with, for example, shareholders or with the entrepreneurs. Let's say your business grows. You can pay yourself a, a bigger salary, but of course you need to pair that with the market. There's something that makes sense. This is a social business. So you reinvest everything. Like a social impact business, like the model itself is the same, but the person, the entrepreneur or the entrepreneurs, they can decide what they do with the profit. They can, for example, get half of the profit for them. They can reinvest half of the profit. So they are going to take the decision. This is a discussion that I would say there is not right or wrong. It depends because if you take all the profit for you and you don't grow your business in the middle long term, maybe you're going to break because the model will, it won't sustain itself. Right. So from what I'm hearing there is that on the topic of it, it's still very much commercial profit driven, but it's deciding factors how you use that profit afterwards, like this, the decision split you make on how to impact. Am I understanding that correctly? No, it's right. And it's, it's interesting, Diego, because for example, at least in Brazil, if you take the juridical part, like the legal part, there is no such in the legal part, there is no such social venture. It doesn't exist like legally. We, we have the three sectors. The first is the public one, the second, the companies, and the third sector, the NGOs. And normally this social entrepreneurship, it's called sector 2.5 because it's something between the private sector and the third sector. But legally, there is no such ventures. You, you, if you go to open a company, you can, you can say, oh, I'm a for-profit or I'm an NGO. You cannot be a 2.5. But your model, it depends. I have a, like a joke with my, my friends that I say, if your model is more like an NGO, you can say you are like 2.9999, almost an NGO, but you do have a business model. In the other extreme, you're like 2.0001, you're almost a normal venture, but you do have a purpose on your business model. And then there is a spectrum on that. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it, like the, the, the numbering system. Yeah, one is the public sector, number two, the profit, and the three, the NGOs. Because something that a lot of NGOs struggle with is especially the funding, financing part to sustain their, so to speak, impact that they want to create in their communities or environment, right? So, exactly. And I think that this is just a conclusion or assumption, like that that's where the, the merging of a social entrepreneurship or like for-profit happened. I, I remember during one of our wildlife company visits, yes, we were visiting an accelerator or something, but the one, one of the guys explained, you, you still need a working business model, for-profit business model, if you really want to impact people, because at the end of the day, that's what that sets things in motion. Yes, you can have a great goal to impact people's lives, etc., but you need resources to make that happen. So, exactly. yeah. So where, where do you fall in if, if, you, if you're using your spectrum from 2.001 to 2.999, where, where would you place yourself currently in that spectrum? Okay. It's, it's a good, it's a good assumption that you did, like where it came from, because it's trying to get the best from each side. It's not saying that NGOs, like they are wrong or the private sector is wrong. Just take the best of each side and apply to your, or your business. Now answer your question, which one am I, am I positioned? I would say right now we, we, we are at Arika around 2.3, 2.4, just like to the middle a bit to the, to the private one. But yeah, that's just as I, I would define now, the Arika. 
Okay. Here, here's an interest, another interesting question from Farley. He has an example here, like kind bars. I'm not sure I'm familiar with them, but I assume they're kind of nutrition bars, but they focus on the social aspect, but they grew into a million dollar company, which le left him to believe that they focus on profit. But a lot of companies also use that the social, uh, proper social responsibility as tech write-off, especially bigger companies. How does that sit within the social entrepreneurship spectrum? This is that's a good, that's a good discussion. Question. There's, a, there's a phrase that says that you can fool one person forever or you can fool a lot of people for a while, but you cannot fool a lot of people forever. So like what I think about that, there's a, also a term, it's called greenwashing. I don't know if you guys yeah, have I, I, I'm familiar with it. But it's basically, let's assume that, that, let's imagine that this big company that does one charity, so donate a money to a local NGO. Of course, this is important to do. The, the NGO, let's assume that is doing a good work with the community. But this company, like they pollute rivers, they treat very bad their employees they have extortion business model very aggressive they break their suppliers they do everything wrong but they donate money for the NGOs and they market that they put a lot of marketing on this process and they sell themselves as we are like you open their website you think you are in the UN like in the United Nations when you open the, the website of the company so this is what one extreme of what we call we call greenwash now, taking to a more like entrepreneur, like let's say in our, my reality, like my, in my company, we are only four people. So we are in the beginning. I think we still have a journey to go on. But as I talk with entrepreneurs, like social entrepreneurs that they got pretty big in their business here in Brazil and they even expanded to other Latin American countries. It's always a trade-off. It's like... Okay, in the day zero, you have your, your, your social impact thesis. You have a model. If this model is working, supposedly you're growing. In the example that Farley gave here, it can happen that the entrepreneur as a human being during the process, he loses him or herself. Because the impact has to be genuine. This is, is a premise that is very hard in the beginning to, it's like, it's every day. Like if I say I have a social business, there is not a finish line that I can cross and I'm going to be a social business forever. This is pretty. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're still a business and you, exactly. you, you need to generate income, to, right? Exactly. And you, every day you make this kind of trade-off choice. Sometimes that's, that's why I say I'm in the middle because sometimes I need to take a project that's going to get more income and less potential impact than another project that would get way more impact, but I, I would break as a company. So I, I live these dilemmas, I would say almost daily in my, in my company. But the point is, we always look back to why the company exists, what causes our reserving. Our and this is your, like your main, our main compass in, in the company. Yeah. Basically your core values, right? Like uh, what, what, why did you start? And yeah, and Diego, I would say also thinking about the stakeholders perspective, because then the average capitalist, they, they, it's shareholders focus. So, right. okay, I need to get profit, whatever it takes. It doesn't matter if people get sick in my company. It doesn't matter if I'm polluting another country, if I'm doing whatever bad, but the point is I'm getting profit for my shareholders. We try to change the perspective and look at stakeholders perspective in the short term, maybe you get less profit, but it, we believe in the medium long term, you create better connections and this is going to sustain our business model in the long term. How would you like in a, in a pure for-profit business, it's easy to gauge how I, I'd say successful companies because the, the, the biggest, you know, indicator would be profit for the stakeholders, as you just mm -hmm. mentioned, right? How would you gauge or what metric would you use to quantify like impact? 
how can like social businesses actually measure up impact if they had to put it on a scale versus profit okay. and to see like, hey, they're actually doing something. I think it's easier to answer as an example because I am, I'm assuming that a social entrepreneur and not saying that everybody needs to be a social entrepreneur. We need people with the social awareness and cultures working in the government. We need these people working in the third sector. I think each sector has its own responsibility in the society. The point is that social entrepreneurs, they are able to tackle very specific society issues. It can be social and environmental. It can be only environmental, social. The term is social entrepreneurship, but it can be only environmental as well. I'm going to use an example of a company called Ugreen here in Brazil. Ugreen. Basically, what they do, they collect potential recycling material, they separate, they recycle, and they, they send to the companies that share, the, the company, some companies, they share this waste with them, and they send like a, a code. This is the, how you track your waste. This is a service they provide. Also, when they recycle, this material is not trash. It's an input for another factory or another process, and they sell that. So this is their business model. Of course, they need to get profit, so they do look for that as well. But the more waste it comes from to them, the less waste will go to the to like an open air trash. Yeah, they they basically try to repurpose it or upcycle the materials to get reused again in, in a sort of like circular economy model, right? Exactly. So they, they, they can even measure that in carbon footprint, for example. Mm. So like they are reducing the carbon, the carbon footprint of some, some chain of a company, for example, because this waste would go to some, some, to another place. So this is something that they, they have like barely to the, to the profit goals. But the, the point is. Their, their decision sh should not only look for the profit part, because if you do that, you, you cannot even call yourself a social business or a social entrepreneur. The point is, because I'm doing the social impact, I'm getting profit. So the profit, it's like, it's almost that I say, for example, as a human, I don't live because of the blood. I have blood on my veins. To live. Yeah, to live. I mean, this is not my purpose. The same of the yeah. company, the, part, the, the money is to sustain the impact, not the opposite. Right. So th this brings me to actually parlays on a roll. Like as you try to scale up like traditional commercial businesses, oftentimes you go to look out for investors and especially if, if, if you're going big and investors are very like, they, they the, the number one thing is they look for a return on investment. Like they, they want to see their money like five, 10 X in 10 years or something. So how is it, how hard is it for social entrepreneurs to get investments of, or, or have a conversation with investors? I, yeah. I assume you've experienced this as well. Yeah. We got actually an investment in June. I was in the wildlife program in the US, so remotely. Uh, we, we spoke with the, the investor and we succeed on that. It, it's so many variables that I, I would, I will not separate like average entrepreneur and social entrepreneur. I would just say some trends and something that I see happening in, in Brazil and in other countries as well. I, I'm going to explain later about ESG, like the environmental, social and governance. Yeah, and governance, yeah, I, I've heard of ESG. And this started in the financial sector. It's not something that emerged from the NGOs or from the, the government. It emerged from the financial sector because if you have a company in a, uh, let's say you have a, a soft drink factory, you sell a lot, you make a lot of money, but you are in a, a water stressed region. If the water is over, you don't have a business. That's one of your key resources. Exactly. And if you don't make, not only you, but people around don't make good use of that, 
forget about your business. The same happening. The same is happening with a big company. Not gonna say the name, but I'm one of the biggest food companies in the world. There's their first suppliers of cocoa. They are having a big risk of not being able to produce anymore. If there's no cocoa, there's no chocolate. And it's one of the biggest units for them. So ESG is risk. And investors, they also look for risk. The, the key here is like how you put a price on that. This is something that there are a lot of standards. Actually, one service that we provide in Arica is helping like democratizing these ESGs for small and medium companies. We can talk more about it. But it starts with the huge companies that they, are, they were facing different risks and these risks could end their business. So if let's say my business is worth $1 billion and there is a risk that in three years, the, the water is going to be over. I need to invest, like if I invest a hundred million for, to get this risk free, I will, I will invest because it's not, it's just a part of the, that I, what I would lose if my, my business will, would run out. So now coming back to investors. The, the new big companies, they, they, at one premise that I have, at least, the new big companies is not going to be someone that is going to invent the new Facebook or the new Instagram or the new Microsoft. No, if you're, if you're going toward this direction, you're just kind of, in my, in my opinion, kind of wasting your time. The point is that look at the global issues that we have. And this week we are actually having the World Economic Forum. They're going to talk about the, their, every year they issue some. Yeah, it's, it's in Switzerland, Davos, right? Exactly. Yeah. They have some interesting reports about risk. And the markets, they, they put prices on this risk. So if one of the biggest risks is the environmental part and your business is impacting negative on that, one example, banks, they're going to put a interest, a bigger, higher interest, interest rate to get to, for you to get a loan because you have a higher risk. So this risk internalized in the process of credit or in the process of money in discount investment as well. So you need to, to count these, these risks in your process, in your business model. And if you're doing for, like, if you have a pur clear purpose, a clear cause and effect that your product or your service provide X and this X generate in impact A, B, and C, like positive impact A, B, and C. Think that the, the risk of environmental issues, social issues is way lower. So you don't have to put this price on your business model. I'm curious to know, because I'm... I really like the way you explain this risk approach. We, we can talk more about the ESG in, in a bit, but this, this risk-based approach to longevity of the business, especially on the resource side and the, 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 the community where, where you operate in. And if you just mentioned the World Economic Forum as well that's going on now, how do you see that risk-based approach propagating to, let's say, less developed regions. Because, yeah, Switzerland, the, the, the superpowers of the world, yeah, they, they have the, these systems in place, the infrastructure in place. But if you look at Latin America in general, and I assume some parts of Brazil, Brazil is pretty huge, there's a lot of disparities in between how developed the regions are. Like, how do you feel like that propagates to these less developed regions? Yeah. First, I would really recommend people to watch or to read about the reports that happened in the last UN climate change conference. They happened. Oh yeah, the, the in COP in uh, Egypt. Yeah, Good exactly. Because this was like your exactly question. Exactly, it was the main topic of discussion. Because let's say the developed countries they develop themselves on top of the other countries. And they create a lot of negative, a lot of externalities, environmental, social, a lot of inequalities, and they have the power, money and power right now. So how can I, can they say to a, 
and like underdeveloped country. Oh, now you cannot pollute. I polluted my whole life. I developed because of it. And now you are, you are actually in this process, in this journey that I've been to, but now you cannot pollute, but you, they don't, they don't give the how. So this is a huge discussion and I'm, I can say something, some outputs of this discussion, but like that, it is still going on. It's important to say that. Yeah, it is a continuous discussion. Because there, there is actually a fund. So if you have a, a, a project that is capturing, for example, carbon instead of em, emitting, emit, instead of like a high emission of carbon, you can get part of this, this fund for it. So these are a fund from developed countries to undeveloped countries. Another discussion is that like kind of the percentage of emission. So a country that is already developed should have a way lower emission than a country that is developing. So this is, I think these are the, 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 the main discussion on, on the, the topic, but is is like very, you, you nail the, the question because this is exactly what is being discussed. Yeah, because that, that, that's uh, especially on the, the fairness part, right? Even if you scale it down to a smaller company, now we're talking on a global level, but if you scale it down on a smaller community, some people or some companies got to the way they are through certain processes. And now these processes are being like kind of restricted or forbidden because now they see the, the effects it, it has later and they, they kind of had this yeah, I, wanna, I don't want to call it a shortcut, but kind of a, sh a shortcut to commercial profit, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. My, my approach, I, it's important to say that I'm, I'm an optimistic person. So I have this bias, even though some, sometimes the things get crazy around. But from my approach, what I see, Brazil is, a, as you said, is a huge country and we have some very urge issues to, to work as a social entrepreneur. If I have the lens of a social entrepreneur, I say, this is opportunity, right? Like social issues. I wish that there were no opportunities for social entrepreneurship in Brazil, because that would mean things are okay. People have opportunities. People have education, health. Uh, I, I was about to say that that's an interesting wish to have, to wish that there are no opportunities. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I mean, a, a social venture or even an NGO should have the, the goal of not existing anymore because it means the problem is solved. Of course, this is a, an utopia, but. <laughs> no, that, that, that is interesting. The goal is to not exist because then the problem is solved. I, I actually like that thing. But then I have a follow up on, you know, you have a problem now and you're as a business, as a social entrepreneur, you're striving to, you know, take on this problem, to solve this problem. And of course you can't solve a problem just on your own. You need, uh, there's many stakeholders involved. There's a community involved and you've been involved in, you know, developing and engaging with communities. So how do you see community development and encourage them to see the, the, the vision of the social entrepreneur or the, the purpose of the social entrepreneur? Great. I, I'm working in different kinds of projects. So I work in, with 10, like a project that would impact 10 people. For example, 10 women in Brazil that we wanted to develop some skills and introduce them into the markets until a network of 3,000 university students that we, they were working with literally 100,000 people around Brazil. So like this was the, the range basically. But the point is it, it's pretty similar. First, take out the superhero cloud. Have, be very humble that like, we, we have a phrase in Brazil. Like, I don't know if it's going to be that great in English, but it's like, who do you think you are in the line of the bread? I don't know if you heard. How, how, how do you say that in Brazil and in, in Portuguese? Quem é você na fila do pão? Okay. If anyone uh, understand Portuguese, tell me if that hits. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so uh, what does that mean again? Because 
people have this habit here in Brazil to go to the kind of the bakery to buy bread. And if you buy, if they, they go almost on a daily basis because it's very fresh, the bread, and it's kind of hot. So it's good to have a breakfast, to have breakfast. So, and because of that, there's a lot, a big line. And this, this sentence, this phrase is that if you are in the front of the line, you are more important. If you are less than line, you are less important. And some people, let's say, oh, I, I have a high status and I say, and you say something to me, ah, who are you in the line of the bread? So this is kind of the, the, the joke or the, the code here in, in Brazil. I say that because to work with social development, you, 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 you must have this kind of humble feeling that you are a small part of the solution and it's not a formula. It's not something that you say, oh, one plus one is true. Because this is a simple problem to solve. A social issue is a very complex problem with a lot of variables, with high historic context, conflict of interest of parts, because there are people who are causing the problem or organizations and people who are being impacted by the problem. So this is the, the feeling that try to be part of the solution. And I can I can go on with that if you want, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested. Okay. Like uh, the the humbleness, yeah, understanding. So yeah. Uh, this is the first that like be humble and know that you have a limitation because everybody does. And when I was beginning, very empirically to do these projects, I was just a university student, a university student who didn't even know if I want to be an engineer. But I, I I kind of had the feeling that working with social develop, I I was connecting with my human values somehow, you know, this kind of feeling that, okay, I, I'm part of the solution for someone. And I, I was, this was kind, kind of boosting myself to do more. And so this is the first part. Then I would say to take out the vision of judging and only observate and listen to people. Because some people, when they are going to do a social impact project, they are, I'm going to visit the community. No, I say, you go to visit the museum, you go to visit some exposition. If you are entering a community and if you are not part of that, like if you are part of that, you do have, let's say, credibility to know actually what happens there. But if you are an outsider of this community, listen to people, connect with people without the judgment vision, Really observe what goes on. Do your research because if you're working as with a cooperative recycling, you need to know what, what is the data? What is the problem? Like this is just fact. It's not your opinion. You're just looking at facts. And then after realizing all of that, observing, talking with people, connecting, you start developing your opinion and you, your vision on the issue. Because the main part is just to understand and to what is the specific issue that you're going to tackle. You're not going to solve the, the hunger of the world, but you can work with first child, childish, like from one year to three years old, and a specific food that you're going to apply to them. And you can apply to thousands of children, but it's very specific. And this is the problem you're going to tackle as social entrepreneur. If, if you had to break that down in the timeline, like, you know, someone is interested in tackling a problem and as you said, first be humble, don't judge and listen, especially listen to the community and collect data. Like at what point would you say, like, what, what would be clarity moment for the social entrepreneurs to see like, aha, this is the, the problem and I have the solution or what was that process like for you when you are busy? Observe. I can say for me, and I can say an ideal process because the ideal process is that you, if the, some people they have already have a higher bar of self awareness or self consciousness. I didn't have that when I started. I was just it was something that it just made sense to do it. No, I'm here. I feeling that this is right. I'm connecting. I didn't have a lot of tools or knowledge on that. So we, I was just doing, and because of that, I did many mistakes, but okay, in the beginning. <laughs> so 
ideally you're going to connect with birth. You're going to always ask yourself, like, why I'm doing this? Like, do I have some cows that I defend? And how do I answer this question? Just look at your journey. Like, what fires you up? What bothers you the most in your city, in your sector, among your peers? And something that, like some injustice that sometimes bothers more than others because there are a lot of problems in the world. You, you, I don't recommend you wake up, solve the hunger issue, and then after lunch, you, <laughs> you're going to solve the recycling thing. And before sleep, you are going to solve gender <laughs> equality. You know? <laughs> yeah, you, you got to focus. You got to commit to what, what you're doing. Exactly. Uh, and as a project, even social project or an average project, you have three things. The time of the project, the resources you need. So, and this scope, you're going to do it. If you say that you have, and as a, if you are the manager of the process, try to choose at least one. One of the mistakes that I, I made is that I received a project with all of these three closed and it wasn't a good experience because if they say, oh, there is this amount of money and this is the scope. I can choose, okay, in one year, I can, I think I'm able to deliver that. If they say you have three months and this is the scope, I put a price. So this is just an example of doing a, it can be even an average project or a social impact project. But the, the main, the main part is understanding the problem. People underestimate that a lot. They think they understand, but if like, how can you understand hungerness? you have food every day in your house. Yeah, and oftentimes I think you have a solution in mind, but it doesn't match the problem that they're trying to solve, right? So they're trying to, they're working the opposite way around or, or they made a product and like, okay, but it doesn't fit in this environment. So I, I, think, I think that's, if you go back to traditional business like that, the product market fit. So I, I would call this the, the solution market, basically. Exactly. Yes, exactly that. Because the the people who, like you are doing your project for someone, if this person is not engaged with the project, there is a big red flag or a potential red flag that you're doing something that is not connecting or not solving. People, the person is not seeing value on their project because, and you can see some signs. So this engaging part is one of the, so in that context, I see Farley had another question. I'm going to bring that up in a second. But yeah, there's, there's different stakeholders and you need to engage them. And one of a, a stakeholder that's everywhere and that everyone has to deal with is the government, right? The, the public sector. The yeah. government. So in that context of finding a solution, how, how does the government fit in social entrepreneurship? Like how important are they? Are they? It's a huge, huge role of importance. Sometimes people, they, they think that, okay, even for the third sector, not only for social entrepreneurship, they think, but this is the government role. And I would say ideally, yes, but we live in a real world, not the ideal one, because ideally the government would provide education, like of quality, health, safe, all, everything that we know is a human right. But actually it's a human privilege because a lot of people, they don't have. If, for example, if you, if you are watching this, probably you have internet. This, is, this should be a right, but it's a privilege. So, okay, this is just a disclaimer. But thinking about it, I, I see always the social entrepreneur interacting or complementing the government. Because I'm not saying that, for example, the social entrepreneur should compete with the government, but to, to develop public policy, for example, because I was part of the youth, I was a youth advisor here for the, for youth public policies in Brazil and to develop a policy that's going to be effective, you need, if you are able to test, if you are able to, it's, it's like a lab, if you have something that you, some flavor that you can have about how this policy is going to impact before throwing out the, actually the policy, 
I can I see social entrepreneurs as this kind of source that they, they can test solution very fast, way faster than the government, way cheaper as well. And, and the, their output of the social entrepreneurship can be the input of policymaker, for example, this interaction. So we saw that here in Brazil for health. We saw that also for education. So like the entrepreneur, they were solving a very specific type of education for people with disability. And it became a policy in a city because the policy, as you guys know, it can be a city policy, public policy, a state or a national. Because sometimes yeah. people think about policy, they only think nationally. Yeah, in our case, we don't have that many levels because we're very small, but I, I do understand on a scale of something like Brazil and the United States, like it, it's like multiple countries <laughs> in one level. Yeah, and even Diego, some business, they, their model is B to G. So business to government. How they tackle and that? They see the, the goals of the, let's say I'm going to do, I'm going to help my city hall here. I'm going to look for policymakers in a city level. So I go to the, let's in, in a city that is average in Brazil. They have this city planning for four years. They have their goals and they have their reality. Every time, it doesn't matter the city. The goals is here, way higher. And the reality is the bar is way lower. Ours. Yeah. We are talking about politicians as well. So a lot of promises and normally far from reality, but they do have their, their priorities. If you as a social entrepreneur, let's assume that you have a solution for education and you are tackling education for people with some dis special disabilities, some special needs. This is a priority for the government, but they are not able to tackle effectively this issue. And you have a, already a solution that you know, if you invest a thousand dollars, it impacts A, B, and C. You already have this cause and effect component. So, the, so to, to, to scale that into a policy, it's easier than developing from zero. So on, on the, the policy spectrum, and usually it's like businesses that kind of introduce policy to government first because they do something and then the government realizes like, Okay, no, we need to adopt this or we need to restrict this, but to a certain degree. In that context, how would you, how, how do you imagine a social entrepreneur approach the changing of governments? Because usually it, it's a long process to introduce a new policy or something. And as governments change, sometimes you got to start from zero again, because then that, that the, basically the stakeholders are the person of contact within that department or within that body of government isn't there anymore. And there, there's different interests, as you said, it, it's politics. So how, how could a social entrepreneur approach that, this B2G model? Yeah, if I, if I had to say something on that, uh, my, my point would be at the same side, that is a huge opportunity to scale your impact through policymakers. This is a huge risk. Because if you change, let's say from left to right or from X to Y, whatever, these people, they, sometimes they don't want to continue a good project. We have this in Brazil. There is actually a policy that is, is working, but just because it's from the other government, the new one, he or she wants to end that because doesn't want to give the accomplishment or share the accomplishments from come from governments that think differently. So this is a huge risk. So if you have a B2G model, my recommendation would say think about at least have a plan B or have a, a side business model because you can have, you can serve government and the final cons consumer or another company, you are allowed to do that. But, and also another, if, I, if I'm able here to give another recommendation would be at least this makes sense in Brazil, but it's not common for the government to be the first buyer of your solution. Because you do need to have already some, some results or some proof that your solution works. Yeah, proof of concept or a leverage that, you know, 
that, that, they, that they even consider it. Exactly. I will not go like first, oh, let's go to government, try to do my pitch here. It's a huge chance of failing. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, and, and completely understandable. And especially with, because entrepreneurship is risk and it's basically risk management that you got to do to a certain degree. But yeah, I, I'm just looking at that time real quick. I think it, it's been very interesting to go a bit deeper on, you know, the social entrepreneur aspect and different ways of approaching it. And thanks partly for the questions as well. So I, I, I want to shift the conversation a, a bit more lighthearted. Talk about a bit about your wildlife experience and, and then close up. So you also got selected for last year. So what was your experience like from like the, 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 the start and which city were you placed in? I was in Salt Lake City in the Utah state. Oh, Salt Lake City. Went there after I finished the program just for visiting. Had some friends there. Nice. But yeah, I was in Portland, so we were pretty close. So you were there with Ruiz, I think. Yeah, we, we met we met there. Ruiz, he, he was an, already an alumni. Yeah, he's very, from 2021. A alumni, and we had the pleasure to meet you first. Yeah, I think he's in Indonesia, Bali now or something. So he's, he's there on another program <laughs> for his master. So hey, Ruiz, glad you could tune in. Nice. So what was in that experience, if you compare you know, the, the landscape in Brazil and the experience you got through Wiley in the United States. What are some, I'd say, differences or takeaways that you got from that experience? Hard to choose, but let's try here. Now let's do a top two or top three. Okay. So one, Americans, they are very straight doing business. Strange? So, straight, like straight to straight, the point. Straight, yeah, yeah. straight to the point, not strange. <laughs> It was strange for me at the beginning, but in a good way. Like I admire the way they are straight to business. Like it's kind of, okay, let's talk about business. A, B, and C, this is my interest. This is what I want to do. If you don't agree, okay, I do with somebody else. Yeah, you just move on. Point. So, and here in Brazil, we, we lose a lot of energy and time. Instead of saying no, go, the process goes and the person, so, in the US, they are very straight to business. And another another thing that was particularly important for me, I was with a big bias on social entrepreneurship before, thinking that it was the only solution. So I was trying to innovate at, at the most on a business model, trying to be disruptive in all parts of my business. And the lesson that I took is that the simple work so you just need reunite to solve a problem, to find a model and to sell this to, for a business model that works. Because this was important because I met many other wild liars, the fellows, they, they have like normal business. Some they sell fruit, the other has a school, it had a hospital. I mean, so it was important for me to get out of the social entrepreneurship bubble to interact with average business, to get more of this. For me, it was a huge inspiration. And to see, okay, I have this social entrepreneurship background and journey. How do I take what's work, working already in the business model and mix with my vision of social entrepreneurship? So this was a huge lesson for me. Interesting. Well, what was your favorite thing for Salt Lake City? Or if you had to recommend someone should they go to Salt Lake City? I know Ruiz had some big adventures there. So anything interesting happened to you in the city? Yeah, before recommending, of course, I need to give a disclaimer because the, the people who were with me, they were so amazing that I, it was like the best city to be in the, for, for me in the US because of the people who were around me. So after this disclaimer, it's an amazing place for you to go if you like, like landscape, like mountain, all in winter, right now it's all snowy. So it, it's a beautiful place to ski. I'm not that good with that, but I love like walking, doing some trails. And it, it was beautiful with these landscape views. Yeah, I, 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 I was in between those mountains and yeah, it, it was really something to see. Ah, you, you know, know what I'm talking there. about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it was very interesting. And then 
let's switch it up a, a bit. We got a viewer from Twitch here. And if you had to ma make a recommendation for Brazil from where you are, best food in Brazil, what are some recommendations? <laughs> oh my God. I, I'm a huge fan of the culinary. In Brazil, we, we have these jokes are among our friends that depending on the region you are, you're like, small, there are some small countries within Brazil. Because if you are in the North region, like the kind of more exotic, exotic culinary with Amazon fruits, the acai is amazing. In the oh yeah, I, I, I remember I tried it. Some kind of smoothie or something or ice cream. I tried to, uh, acai ice yeah, cream. But the acai from the Amazon is different because the acai that we know as ice cream, it's mixed with kind of sugar powder. And the, the one that is made actually, let's say in Manaus, that is Amazonas state, for example, it's, they take the fruits, they put in a machine, they get the juice kind of as a creamy juice. And then you eat, you can eat with fish, you eat with rice. So, and it has a different taste. I, I personally love it. But my favorite food, I would put in here, chew because I, I'm hard at choosing one. I would put chew. One is feijoada. Feijoada? Feijoada. Okay. It's a dish that it came from the, when the Africans came to Brazil. They made that with rests of pork. But now, now you put a lot of parts of pork, the good, and some people put almost everything. But it's a black bean with parts of pork and you eat with rice, with some tomato sauce, with powder as well. It's delicious. It's amazing to eat, eat on winter. And I also recommend pão de queijo. It's bread of cheese. If you go to a state near Sao Paulo state, it's on the, right on the north. It's called Minas Gerais. It's the best. Pão de queijo you can find it here. It's delicious. It's like these small balls of cheese with flour. It's just amazing. If you mix, you like during your afternoon, you have a cup of coffee if you like, and normally they serve that. Interesting. Well, there you have it, guys. So if you're yeah. heading out to Brazil or to Tomorrowland, maybe because uh, yeah, I saw Tomorrowland is in Brazil. What what state is it that in? I I think it's even I think it's in. Let, let me check because it's, yeah. I think it's in São Paulo state. That that's one of the biggest like music festivals in the world, right? Yeah, it's it's actually close to Campinas city. It's in the in the city. It's called. Oh, Eaton. that that that's near to you, right? Yeah. <laughs> If you guys come to Tomorrowland, send me a message. We can grab a, a coffee or a beer and we can have a good time here in Brazil. Send me a message if you guys go to come to Tomorrowland. Awesome. But there you have it, guys. So even more reason to go to Brazil, visit, <laughs> see the see the culinary, see the beautiful site. Right, have a checklist and... of tourists. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, that, I, no that, that's amazing. Peter, I think you shared a lot with us clarified a lot with us about entrepreneur, social entrepreneurship, especially, and your vision on it. I, I definitely think we could have gone even more in depth, but you know, we're as with everything, you're constrained to some resources and with us, it's a resource of time. So maybe in the future, we'll have a follow-up and especially if John Rupa's here as well, he always has some interesting things and experiences, but. Hopefully he'll be back next week. So to close it off, any final thoughts, Peter, on social entrepreneurship and where could people find more, find out more about you and what you are doing? Everything yeah. can we send them to. Yeah. First, I put myself open to, if you, if you have any questions, want to talk deeper about any subject, this is my name, Vitor Ungari. Normally I respond quicker on my LinkedIn, but you can find me on Instagram on in my email as well is like what I use the most, but LinkedIn is what, cause I use for business. So I'm always online on LinkedIn. So it's going to be a pleasure to grab a virtual coffee with you guys. And my final thought is that I would say that I, I I'm on a, I always say journey. This is a word that I use a lot. Journey, journey, because I don't see a final line like, oh, okay. I arrived. Okay. You have milestones. 
but it's always about the journey of being a better human. I don't believe about, oh, there is a good leader that is a bad hu human. So I always putting energy to be, try, trying to be a good person or a better person. And it's every day, it's a current test. Some, some days, sometimes I say, okay, this day, I'm, I'm like further to be a better person than I wish. But in the long term, this is the journey that I'm going through. Like, I don't want to be better than Diego or better than Ruiz. I just want to be a better Vitor. So this is very important for me. And it gives like some mental peace as well, because we are in a world that we compare everything. So this brings mental yeah. peace. And I put a lot of value in the journey that I'm going through. So this is the, my final message sharing each one of you guys. No, I think that's an amazing way to end it. And we look forward to seeing more of your journey. Definitely amazing journey. And to everyone tuning in, thank you for tuning in. Thanks for the questions. Thanks for engaging. And as you know, these episodes will be published on the website at the end of the month. And you can always rewatch or re-listen on YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you have friends who think you think you would be interested, share with them, especially those for this episode interested in social entrepreneurship. I think they will have lots of takeaways from this. But with that being said, thanks for tuning in. And we will see you again next week on Social Convos. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>